All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 23. Somebody give me a quick hint in the back, if you can hear me. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Okay, we're good. Uh, Just a real uh, quick reminder before we get started this morning. If you do not have a study guide that says Psalm 23 on it, just throw up a quick hand. And some of the folks in the front will get some of the extras to the back. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 23. While those are going back, I want to invite everybody here. Welcome to this place. We are glad that you are here. You have dropped into Grace Community Church. In the middle of several weeks, we are going through the Psalms together. Today, we have made our way to a very popular, familiar Psalm, Psalm, 1, Psalm 23. So I know that many of you know this psalm, and many of you have been personally encouraged by this psalm. What we want to do is we want to call on God now, before we walk through this psalm together, and we want to ask God the Holy Spirit to help us, and to encourage every person in this room, to give us a glimpse of our God, the Shepherd. So let's pray. Pray with me. Lord, we come to you in your name. Today, you are our Father, you are our God, and we don't come to you because of our own righteousness. Lord, we come to you because of your great mercy in Christ. And it is on this basis, God, that you hear us, and we are confident that you hear us, Lord. You are all to us, Lord Jesus, and we ask you today to exalt yourself. Let your kingdom come. Hallowed be your name in this church meeting. Come exalt yourself, Lord. Exalt your sufficiency. God, remind us today as your disciples that we don't need anything besides you. When we have you, when we get you, we get all things. Exalt your worth and your value all across this room, Lord. And I even pray for those gathered in this place that don't know you, that you would give them a glimpse of your glory, Lord. God, I ask that you would allow your word to go forth today, Lord, with the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would make it effective and that you would save us from gathering together in vain today and that you would cause your word by the power of your spirit to bear fruit in our life. Make it effective, Lord. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters All across the room, God, that you would give us discernible encouragement today. That you would remind us of the glory of the gospel. That you would remind us all who you are for us in Christ Jesus. Do it, Lord. God, help me to teach your word today and the ability that you supply. And help us to hear it with the ability that you supply, Lord, so that you... You are glorified in this place. We ask these things in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. Alright, let's begin our time. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 23. And we're going to read that together. I'm going to ask you, if you have the ESV Bible, that's probably uh, by far the majority translation in the room. No knock if you don't. But if you have the ESV... I want you to read this out loud with me. As I read it, I want you to read it with me. So let's 
Everybody get our eyes on these words. It's the most important thing you're going to hear me say in the next hour. These are the words of God. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of God to this local church this morning. Just make a quick, a uh, couple of quick comments before we dive into this text. Psalm 23 is a psalm about God. What we're mainly supposed to take away from our time in this psalm this morning is a glimpse of who the God of Scripture is. Who is the Lord God? Who is He? And what does He do for us in Christ? I'll put this quote. We've said it many times at this church. Uh, A.W. Tozer has the famous quote, and he says this, What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So what we want to do all around this room is we all have thoughts of God. We all have thoughts in our mind and in our soul of who we say that God is. And what we want to do is we want to put those thoughts that we have side by side with Holy Scripture. And we want to, we want to evaluate our thoughts of God side by side with His Word to see if there's any deficiencies, anything that we need to grow in, anything that we need to be reminded of about God from Psalm 23. Okay? And so the answer to that question, who do you say God is, Scripture does not give us a one-dimensional answer to that question. There are many names, many metaphors that describe God in Scripture, such as God is Lord, God is King, God is Savior, God is Jesus, God is Judge. And what we see here in Psalm 23 is that God is the Shepherd. So we're supposed to be on guard against a real one-dimensional view that God is only judge and not Savior, or only Savior and not judge. But what we want to press into specifically this morning is this theme throughout Scripture is that God, the Lord God, the Creator of the ends of the earth, is a shepherd, is a shepherd. So we want to press into this metaphor, and we as the church of Jesus, we want to evaluate our own experience in light of Psalm 23. Where do you stand in relation to this psalm? Is this psalm your experience as a believer? Are you walking in your inheritance in Jesus Christ that you have God not just as your Savior, but as your shepherd, as your shepherd? 
It's a very personal, very intimate metaphor that we're going to press into this morning. So let's begin with this phrase in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. Now we know who said that. In your psalm, you have a title that hangs over uh, this psalm. It says the psalm of David. King David wrote these words. And it's a good question to ask. Well, we know. That's in Scripture. We know that this is true of David. But can we really say that for ourselves? Can we really claim this for ourselves as believers in Christ? And what we see is that this is a theme, not just in the Psalms that shows up every once in a while. This is a a theme that runs through the entire written revelation of God, Old Testament and New. And so God was a shepherd to David, but when we roll around to the New Testament, Jesus announces himself in John chapter 10 as the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And then in Luke chapter 12, Jesus says of all of his followers, he calls us his little flock. And then listen to this verse in Revelation chapter 7, verse 16 and 17. This shepherd's sheep metaphor is carried all the way into eternity. Listen to what it says. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne. He will be their shepherd. And He will guide them into springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. As far as the believer can see into the future, we have a shepherd in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is our shepherd. And so this is not just a psalm for David. This is a psalm for us to celebrate These gospel blessings this morning. I'll point out two things before we move forward. This is presented to us as a truth in the present tense. God is my shepherd. Presently. Not was, not will be. He is. And then look how personal it is. It's not God is the shepherd of Israel. Though that is true. It's not God is the shepherd of the church corporately. Though that is true. It's not that God is the shepherd of the most mature in the church, though that is true. Look how personal it is. Is God is my shepherd, my shepherd. And so that's exactly where I want the focus to be this morning. Is this your personal experience to be shepherded by God? This is a metaphor. Like we said, it runs throughout scripture and it communicates something to us. That we need to know about the God of the Bible. And so you think about it. You have two names in the very first verse. The Lord, and then his title, is my shepherd. And I want you to think about the contrast. Those two things are not supposed to go together in some ways. The Lord, Yahweh, the Lord of the universe, the maker of mountains, the God who created all things, Sustains all things. Everything that exists, exists for Him. That God is my shepherd. You see the exalted nature of God and His condescension towards us in Jesus. The Lord God, high and exalted, has has taken on the posture of a servant, a shepherd of sheep. This is His nature. To condescend to humanity. To get low. He is... He is the high and lofty one, but he is also the Savior and the Shepherd. 
So we get a glimpse of him in this metaphor. That contrast is supposed to shock the human spirit. It's not supposed to be, oh yeah, it makes perfect sense. I bow down and serve me too. That's not supposed to be our response to that. We are unworthy to be bowed down, stooped down, the God of the universe to stoop down and shepherd us and to serve us. Our response to this is gratitude that we have the Lord God of the universe as our shepherd. But it also gives us a glimpse of who man is. It shows us who God is, but it also shows us who we are. You think about it. The shepherd's sheep metaphor in scripture, it gives us humble reminders about ourselves. You say, what do you mean? When God searched out his creation and wanted to show us we were, what we were like, God did not say they are like the roaring strong lions, did he? God gave us this metaphor that we are the ones like weak, unintelligible, wandering, and needy sheep. That's what we're supposed to be reminded of. Now, how's that for a dose of self-confidence this morning? Right? That we are the weak, wandering, unintelligent sheep. So, it's hard to pass this up, uh, but I will say this. Uh, It's really popular uh, in in our culture just to have these Christian cliches and probably a really good description of this is one of the newest books by Olstein. You know, that's become a verb now. If you want to be really fluffy about the things of Jesus, you call it Olstein in somebody. Tell them all the good news, but none of the bad news of Scripture. So that's a verb now. Maybe you didn't know that. Now, his latest book is, is something like The Power of I Am. And you can read down the table of contents. And basically, the idea is that you just repeat good things about yourself over and over and, and look how good you feel. So here's some examples of this. You think about how different this metaphor is than, than what Olstein says. I am valuable. I am victorious. I am strong. I am anointed. I am highly favored. Guess what chapter didn't make it in the book? I am a weak, unintelligible, needy, wandering sheep. Didn't make it in there. This is the clear picture of this metaphor that you would be humbled by these reminders of your nature. So here's the question. Do you see yourself like that? Do you see yourself in the quiet conversations that you have in your own mind about yourself? Do you see yourself as the strong, roaring lion, the self-sufficient one? Or do you see yourself as needy, wandering sheep? That is the metaphor. Okay? And it presses in even further. Scripture teaches us not only are we like sheep, it actually tells us that we have an inability to lead ourselves morally. That is true. Scripture puts forth mankind, we are unable to lead ourselves morally. We will be led by someone else. Listen to this. In Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 23. I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself. That it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. God did not design us to be morally independent. We are created beings to be morally dependent on another to lead us. The way of man is not in ourselves. And that takes us to the next point. That these words that we read here, the Lord is my shepherd, 
That is not a universal truth for mankind. Do you understand that? That's a good reminder in a nominal Christian culture. These things are hijacked from their context in the Bible, slapped on a coffee cup, and drank by lost people all over America. The Lord is my shepherd. That is not true. Mankind, lost mankind, is, has a shepherd by nature, but it is not the Lord God. The Lord God only becomes our shepherd by grace. So let's press into this even more. Say, what do you mean? The Lord's not my shepherd? Not unless you're a believer in the Lord Jesus. The same is true for a child of God. We live in a culture that slings that phrase all over the place. That we're all children of God. No, we're not. No, we're not. You're only adopted as God's child through belief in the gospel. So listen to this. Ephesians chapter 2. It pictures Satan himself as the shepherd of lost humanity. And lost humanity as willing sheep following him around. Listen to the phrase. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2. Describes us outside of Jesus. That we follow the, the prince of this world. The spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Do you know that about yourself? That's true for every person in the room. That you at one time in your life are maybe still... That you personally followed Satan as your shepherd. And guess where he led you? Not to green pastures to feed your soul. He was a terrible taskmaster that fed you poison candy. Sin presented to you as a good thing laced with poison with an aim to kill you. And what did we do? We willingly followed him. We did exactly what we desired to do and fed in these wicked pastures. Being led by the evil one himself. And so this is a reminder. You can't take language like this out of its context in scripture. You can't. This is not a truth for everybody. This is only a truth for some. And you even see this in the book of Psalms. Of how the Psalms are ordered. So before you get to Psalm 23. You come, if you're reading through the book as it was collected to be read, you're reading through this book. And what do you read before? Oh, yeah, you read Psalm 22, which is the psalm of the crucified Messiah. Starts out like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You have pierced my hands and my feet. And so what's the truth that God is placing out for us there? That we don't get the Lord as our shepherd until we bow down and trust the Lord Jesus crucified on his cross in our place. We are sheep and not innocent sheep. We are the rebellious sheep that God created and we willingly went after the things that God hates. That God hates. We are sheep that deserve God's wrath. And what did God do? We just sang it a minute ago. I love the, the line of this song, grace and peace. Oh, how can it be the matchless king of all paid the blood price for me? So the gospel is this. How did we become, how did we make that transfer that we were once shepherded by Satan and now we are shepherded by the Lord our God? Jesus tells us this in John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. I laid down my life for the sheep. And so somebody had to take our wrath and our punishment that we deserve for preferring the things of Satan, the things that God hates over God. And Jesus did this and he pays the blood price for us on his cross. And so if you're here this morning, this might be something that God has just for you. 
tailor-made just for you that you would be reminded that you are not a sheep that belongs to God by nature. You can only be a sheep that belongs to God by grace. By grace. And the only thing keeping anyone in this room from becoming one of God's sheep is personal repentance of sin and personal trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done for you on His cross. Listen to John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. That's the exchange this morning. It doesn't happen automatic. It happens through repentance and faith in Jesus. We become children of God. We become sheep of God. And if you are not a child of God and a sheep of God, then you know exactly what God is pressing on you this morning. That you would receive the things of Christ. That you would believe in the Lord Jesus. The one who paid your sin debt on His cross. Died in your place. And so, we're the church. Once this exchange happens, that we hear that glorious gospel, it's not boring to us, it's the power of God to us, that the Son of God came and He died for our sins. And we hear that and we believe it and receive it. And then this exchange takes place that on, in that millisecond, in that very moment that we repent and believe, the Lord binds Himself to His people as their shepherd forever. Forever, In that very moment, He becomes our shepherd, never to depart from us. And so we are the church of Jesus, having believed this gospel. And that means that God has bound Himself to us as our shepherd. It's not an automatic thing. It's a gospel work that God has done. And what we want to do with this psalm is we want to answer two questions. I believe that. I see it there. I believe that God is my shepherd. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be shepherded by God? To have the Lord God of the universe as your shepherd. And so we're going to press into this psalm. And, and this psalm is going to answer that question. And then we're going to turn around at the close of our time. And we're going to say, I believe that. That the Lord is my shepherd. And that makes me his sheep. And so we're going to ask and answer this question. How can I respond as a sheep to the shepherd? And you're going to see that Psalm 23 Answers this question as well. So let's start with this. What does it mean biblically, biblically to have the Lord as your shepherd, as your shepherd? And the first thing that we see in this psalm is that, that it means God, our shepherd, gives us soul rest. Look at verse 2. He makes me lie down. In green pastures. He leads me. Beside still waters. So look at it there. I want you to look and think. Look and think. We have two things in that one verse. That point to the same thing. Sitting down. Lying down. Sheep only do that. To rest. Lying down. And then, and then you get the phrase. The still waters, and in Hebrew, and some of your footnotes actually say this, that is literally the waters of rest. What are you supposed to be getting from this language? God is the one who gives His sheep rest. Rest. Sitting down by the waters of rest. Now, let's qualify that. Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean, how much sleep are you getting, brother? 
getting, you know, eight hours a night or nine hours a night? How much rest are you getting? Okay? It's not a physical thing, though He is the one that gives us physical rest. That's not what's in view here. This is a promise of soul rest from the shepherd to his sheep. You see this in verse 3. Why are they lying down? Why are they beside the waters of rest? Verse 3 says, because he is restoring my soul. He is the one that restores my soul. Is that a beautiful reminder to you this morning that, yes, that is true about my God. There are many times that I'm downcast, dry parts in my life, but He is the one that fills me back up and restores my soul. He does this by giving us rest. Rest. This is a deep, subjective, spiritual experience. This is not something that you just memorize on a piece of paper. This is an experience. That the Lord takes His children through. Soul rest. It's not a light thing to be without this. To be a turmoil of soul or part soul. I want you to think about this this morning. A heavy spirit. A downcast soul. God's Word tells us that that is worse than cancer. Listen to this. In Proverbs 18 verse 14. A man's spirit... Will endure sickness. But a crushed spirit. Who can bear it? What if you were reminded of the seriousness of that this morning? Why do you think. People take their own life. You think they take their own life. Because they're feeling great about themselves. This will push someone to the very limits. This, this idea of turmoil of soul. Cast down soul. Part soul. And he is the one. That flips this monster and restores our soul. Lifts the heaviness. Fills us up in the midst of desert seasons. Wilderness seasons. And He is the only one that can do this. Listen to the promise of Jesus in Matthew 11. 28. Come to me. All who, are, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will Give you rest. Not talking about a nap. Keep listening. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Soul rest. That is a sweet gift that the Lord Jesus gives every believer. That there's a hurricane on the inside and he shuts it down. He gives us rest deep in our spirit. This is an experience that every child of God can verify over and over again in our lives. And in fact, when we're old men and old women, if the Lord wills that we live that long and we gaze back through decades of walking with the Lord Jesus, you're supposed to be able to recount hundreds of times that you were dry and He lifted your spirits. That you needed reviving and the Lord revived you. That you needed your soul restored and Jesus, your shepherd, was faithful to feed you with what you needed. To lift up your spirits, to remind you of where your health comes from. That's supposed to be the cycle of your life. That yes, you will pass through part seasons, seasons, but the shepherd is going to restore your soul. Two quick verses before we move on about how he does that. How he gives... His sheep soul rest. He does it, but God's word tells us that this is mediated. This soul rest is given by the shepherd 
And it's mediated through His Word as it comes to the sheep. Listen to these two verses. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Does that describe your relationship with Holy Scripture? That it's like going to take a cold drink of water in the middle of the desert when you open your Bible and pray and ask God to reveal Himself to you, and He does it. One more verse, Psalm 94, verse 19. When the consolations of my heart are many, are the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. This is how He does it. He encourages us. He restores us through His Word. His Word. Now come to that from the backside. Come to that from the backside. What does that mean? If that's the means through which the shepherd restores his sheep, revives his sheep, what does that mean if the sheep refuse to feed on the means of the Word? It means you cut yourself off from the supply. You cut yourself off from the shepherd restoring your soul. The wisest thing that anyone in this room can do in a season of dryness, in a season of a parched spirit, is you saturate your life in the Word of God. This is how He does this. It is perfect at reviving the soul. There's nothing better. This is the means of the shepherd. This is what it means to have God as shepherd, is He lifts the burden and gives rest to our soul. Number two, it also means that He sanctifies us. Sanctifies us. You see this in verse 3. He leads us in paths of righteousness. So when you hear that phrase, don't mainly think when you think paths of like direction on a map and which way to go. God does lead us in subjective ways like where should we live, Oxford or Jackson? Who should I marry, Susan or Sally? What job should I take, this one or that one? That's not mainly what's in view here. Okay? Mainly what's in view here is moral paths, the paths of righteousness that please God, paths that are right before the sight of God. And so what does it mean to be shepherded by God? It means that he, he drives us down these paths of purity, moral purity. He is the one that leads us in holiness. Another way to say that is he is the one that sanctifies his people. And so think about this. Paths of righteousness. It is impossible for us to walk down these paths unless He is the one that leads us down them. We, we can't do anything apart from Him. He's the vine, we're the branches. But He is the one that has promised to sanctify us, to work holiness and righteousness in us. Listen to this in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 8. He says, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Psalm 23 tells us He does this for His glory. He does that for His glory. He leads us down the paths of righteousness for His namesake, for His glory. You say, well, how does that work? Like, I'm not sure I understand that. Because He is the one doing it. God gets the glory for our obedience. Why? Because it's His work. He is the one producing it in us, on the insides. In fact, obedience in, in Galatians chapter 5 is called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Fruit glorifies the one who produced it. Do you see that? God leads us down paths of righteousness for His namesake. He's making a name 
through His people, their moral purity. It's His work in us, not ours. Not ours. And let's just say this as we move on from this point. This is what it means to be shepherded by God, that you walk in paths of righteousness. Come at that from the backside. You say, well, I know God. I don't walk in paths of righteousness. There's the problem, right? What happens when our experience directly contradicts God's Word? God's Word wins and our experience bows down to God's Word. You say, what are you saying? It is impossible to have the Lord as your shepherd if you're not walking down paths of righteousness. He's the one that produces this in all of His people. This is a major thing that we just saw from the book of 1 John. That every single time the Lord saves one of His children, He produces the new birth that shows itself in righteous deeds as evidence that God has really changed my life. So to have the Lord as shepherd means that we are walking in paths of moral purity. Not always, not sinless perfection. This is the pattern of our life. Why? Because we're awesome? No. Because the Lord is the one who is leading us down these paths. He is our shepherd. He is our shepherd. Now, two more subpoints on what it means to have God as our shepherd. And both of these are going to be really good reminders for us in the midst of the culture that we live in. You say, what do you mean? Okay. So far, you know, everybody's fine. We're sitting, you know, we're sitting and chilling out by still waters. And man, our soul is being restored. And we're walking those paths of righteousness. And every day is a Friday. And we're just having a time, right? So far, that's where we're at. And look at directly the next pivot of this song shows us that to be shepherded by God does not mean escaping difficulty. To be shepherded by the Lord does not mean escaping difficulty. In fact, this psalm prepares us to suffer. It prepares us to enter into some really low, dark places in life. It's real. Okay, This is the direct contrast to the lies of Satan. The lies that Satan tells people in the midst of suffering. God has left you. Where is your God? I thought you said that He was for you. I thought that you said that He was with you. Where is He? Nobody can find Him. That's His lie in the midst of suffering. And Psalm 23 is going to come expose those lies and show the Lord is the very present one in time of need, in time of suffering. It's going to directly, flat out, rebuke the prosperity gospel that teaches you believe in the Lord Jesus and every day is a Friday. You never have a bad moment. And if you do, it's directly tied. You're just not believing enough. You just lack in faith. And so the prosperity gospel has no grid for being shepherded by God into a dark valley. Into a dark valley. This is the contrast. They say when you're in the dark valley, you have departed from His leadership. The Lord says that in the dark valley, He is the one that shepherded you there. And we're going to see that in both of these Subpoints. So the lie is that God is far from us in the midst of suffering. That's the lie. And the truth is that the Lord is the very present help in time of need. And I believe that we see that in this psalm. That God is our shepherd in every season. But something is highlighted for us in Psalm 23. Especially 
during seasons of suffering. It's like his shepherding intensifies. You say, what do you mean? We'll look at verse 1 through 3. In verse 1 through 3, you have a man who loves God talking about God. When I say the Lord is my shepherd, or when I say Megan is my wife, I'm not talking to Megan. That'd be a weird way to talk to Megan, right? Megan is my wife. She's like, I, why are you saying that to me? Like, who are you talking to? I say, you are my wife. Okay? When I talk to Hunter, I say, Megan is my wife. And so look at the audience in verse 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay? Verse 4. I will not fear for you are with me. So, green pastures, places of rest, talking about God. There's a, there's a pivot towards intimacy when things get difficult. He begins to talk directly to God. It's like his shepherding intensifies in the dark valley. And I want us to see this because I want us to be a local church that suffers well for the glory of Jesus. We have to know this. If we're to suffer well for the glory of Christ, what do I mean when I say that? I mean that we don't want to be disciples of Jesus that loves God when everything's going great. When everything's going our way, we love God and we trust God. And when things get difficult, we don't love Him so much anymore. We don't believe Him so much anymore. We don't want to be like that. We want to magnify His sufficiency and His worth in every season. And we have to know this in order for us to be that kind of people. We have to know that He is with us in our suffering. And so I want us to see this. Sub point number three. To have the Lord as shepherd means that He comforts us in the midst of darkness. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Alright, valley of the shadow of death. Let's, let's talk about it and get the metaphor in our mind. The picture in our mind, and then we'll gravitate, to, we'll, we'll shift to understand it and apply it to our life. The shadow of death, what's that? What's that? Most likely, this is a description of a deep ravine in Israel. So, lots of mountains, mountainous terrain, and a deep ravine. And, and in these places, these ravines, these are the places where you can find water in a drought, the low spots between the mountains. Okay, Lots of vegetation is there. A lot more than anywhere else. Why? Water in the low spots. Okay, This is where you can find water. This is where vegetation grows. This is where if you're a shepherd leading your sheep. This is where you walk so that you don't have to climb over mountains to get from one place to the next. It's the valley. Okay? And it's dark because of vegetation. Lots of stuff growing. Okay, You say, well that sounds so bad. Okay, but... But the bad part about it, if you're a sheep, is that it's, it's, a, it's the valley of darkness. And it'd be better translated like that in your Bible. Some of your footnotes say that. The valley of deep darkness or the valley of darkness. So if you're a sheep, what's bad about that? Well, you got water there, but you ought, this is the place where the predators hide. This is the place where they hide and they lurk. Lots of hiding places, lots of secret places. They know that there's water there. They know that this is the path that the sheep walk. And so walking through the valleys is not an enjoyable experience if you're a sheep. 
Or even if you're a shepherd, this is a place where many people were robbed because of the hiding places in the caves. So I want us to see this not just as the valley of the shadow of death, that those few milliseconds right before you die that the Lord shepherds you through, which is true if you're a Christian, that He does do that for every believer. He is the only one that can shepherd us through death. And if you don't know Christ, you will go through death alone. You will have no shepherd. It is true that these, these are certainly, He is with us in the moments right before we die. But it's a valley of deep darkness. It's broader than that. This phrase describes many different difficulties that we go into as believers. Listen to Acts chapter 14 verse 22. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. You see how certain that is? No way around it. We're to expect this, that we're walking with the Lord Jesus, being shepherded by the Lord. And we're going to have sunny pastures to feed in, to lie down in. But we're to expect, periodically, that those sunny days are going to plunge into a dark, dark valley. A dark valley. Many of you know this well already in your life. Days of suffering, tribulations through which you must pass on the way to the kingdom of God. Now here is the comfort of the shepherd. Okay? Here is the comfort of the shepherd. He promises comfort to us. But here's, I want to spend almost the rest of our time just staying right there and highlighting this. That comfort is not, it's not coming to us in our escape from the valley. You see that? It doesn't. That's not the comfort. The comfort comes to the sheep, look at verse 4. Through the presence of the shepherd in the midst of the darkness. Verse 4. I will fear no evil because you are with me. Do you see that? You say, man, well, you sound fired up about this. I'm encouraged by this. You say, why? Because almost every time when things get hard and things get difficult, we pray, Lord, get me out of this place. And what this is showing us is that he wants us to pray, Lord, meet me in this place. Show how sufficient you are in this dark, deep, dangerous valley. Come meet me in this place and magnify your sufficiency in my life. Come glorify yourself. You see this? He is the shepherd and he promises the comfort, but it doesn't come in escaping the circumstances. It comes through him being with us in the midst of that dark, dark valley. I want to give you a couple examples of this. Teaching us how to think differently about suffering. This is a, there's a man from church history, a missionary named John Patton. And I want you to think about what we're pressing into in Psalm 23. Not escaping the valley, but in the midst of that dark season, experiencing that comfort that comes from the presence of God. I want every single one of us, his sheep, to have... This testimony. He came and he drew near to me and he comforted me. He comforted me. John Patton, 1858, newly married missionary. 1858, he lands on island called the, the New Hebrides Islands. He moves there as a missionary with his new bride and they are 
feeling called by God, sent out by God to preach the gospel, check this out, to an unreached cannibalistic tribe. Missionaries who went before him, several of them killed and eaten by cannibals. And he loves the Lord Jesus, moved by his gospel, moved by his mission, feels the call of God on his life, sells all, leaves all things, and goes to this place to take the gospel of Christ to this cannibalistic tribe. These are the people, Hebrews chapter 11, of whom the world is not worthy. That's the type of people that we're talking about here. So if anybody in all of God's creation should be exempt from passing through deep, dark valleys, which should be people like this, right, that leave all to follow Christ, newly married, got a nice you know, country, most prosperous country in the world at the time, you're going to preach the gospel to cannibals that ate the missionaries before you. See this? People of whom... The world are not worthy. If anyone should be exempt from suffering, should be them, right? Right? Three months after they arrived, they had a baby boy, a son, newly married, preaching the gospel, unreached people, and now they got a baby. And about three months after that little baby was born, the mom and the little boy contract typhoid fever, and they die. So now, that trajectory has changed quite a bit. You have a 33-year-old man who has left all to follow the Lord Jesus, to serve the Lord Jesus among the nations. Left all to do this. His love for the Lord, and now he watches his baby and his wife die. He watches them die, and he digs their own grave. And buries his wife and his little boy. Not only that. He has to guard the grave so that the cannibals don't dig up his family and eat them. And eat them. John Patton, 33 years old. He writes this. He says, let those who have passed through similar darkness... Black like midnight, pray for me. So in those moments, he's comparing what he's going through directly to what we just read about. This is the valley of deep darkness, the valley of the shadow of death. So I want you to picture him there. Digging a grave for his family, sitting over that grave, protecting them. Nobody. He stayed on the island for four years by himself after that. Nobody around him. And I want you to think about this. Dark valley, no doubt. I wonder if this man became jaded and bitter towards the Lord. If he became angry towards his God. If he felt like that this is something that should not have happened to him. Because I left all to follow you. And this is what I get. Is that what happened to him? Or did he experience the comfort that the shepherd promises in the midst of the darkness. Listen to what he writes. He ends up naming the graveside of his wife and his little boy, his personal Gethsemane. And here's what he writes. I was never altogether forsaken. The ever merciful Lord sustained me to lay the precious dust 
of my loved ones in that quiet grave. And if it weren't for Jesus, catch this, and the fellowship that He graciously granted me there, I would have gone mad and died beside that lonely grave. What the man just told you is beside the grave of his wife and his little boy, the Lord Jesus, met him there. The shepherd came down in that dark valley and he, he made his presence known and sustained this man to suffer. I want to ask you this. Does the world know anything about suffering like that? That something is taken from me and I'm still worshiping God and he's enough for me in every single season. Does the world know anything about that? And then ask yourself this question. How glorious does the shepherd look when we suffer like this? That you take everything from a man and he's still worshiping Christ. That Christ is enough for him and everything is taken away from him. It makes me think about the song that we sing almost weekly. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. We want to be able to sing that song, not on chipper days when everything is going well, though we should. We also want to be able to sing that song of hallelujah, all I have is Christ in the dark, dark valleys. It glorifies the shepherd. It glorifies his sufficiency, that he is more than enough in the midst of trials. Look at the fourth subpoint to be shepherded by God. It also means that He sustains us in the midst of warfare. And you see this in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So here the sheep are pictured at a banquet feast. And the Lord, the shepherd is the host of this banquet feast and he's spreading out the table for his sheep to feast. He is the one that feeds us and sustains us. Okay? Again, what's in view here is not physical food. Not eating chicken or turkey or anything like that. This is a picture of the Lord spreading a banquet of spiritual food, of him sustaining our soul, sustaining our spirit. This is what the shepherd does. What the shepherd does. Here's the surprising thing. Not only is he, is he providing for us, sustaining us. Look at what it says there. My cup overflows. This is not a picture of just slinging some crackers and some crumbs. This is a picture of the cup being held out. And the jug over it never stops pouring into the cup. That's how richly God provides spiritually for his sheep. That's what it means to have God as your shepherd. Now here's the curveball. We want to stay here till we finish. Where does it say that that feast happens? Where? The sunny days by the beach? Vacation in Fiji? Where does it say? He is the one. The shepherd is the one spreading that table out, that banquet table, that feasting table. Listen, in the presence of my enemies, in the presence of my enemies, that's the game changer. You mean to have the Lord as my shepherd means that I'm going to have enemies? That's, that's, that's a good takeaway. 
You're going to have enemies. He doesn't remove the presence of your enemies. But what does the shepherd do? He spreads the banquet table in their presence. In their presence. This is what it means to have God as our shepherd. Think about this. In every season that you pass through, every season of turmoil, discouragement, uh, suffering, tribulation, attacks, whatever it is, this tells us that if God is your shepherd, you have a feast available for you at any moment. At any moment, a spiritual feast. Say it another way. Nothing that you ever go through in your life has the power to cut you off from feasting with the Lord Jesus Christ. From having your spirit sustained by Jesus in the midst of suffering untold. This is what it means to have God as your shepherd. As your shepherd. You will fight. There will be struggle. But you will feast as his sheep. So think about this. This tells us what we need to be doing in the midst of trials, right? Got enemies around us, feeling parched, feeling discouraged. Tells us what we need to be doing. You say, what do you mean? What's the, what's the main thing you need to hear in a season of difficulty? The main thing is this. You need to eat what God has provided for you. The shepherd is spreading a banquet table in the presence of your enemies. And you need to eat it. You need to eat the food that he gives you. You need to eat the wilderness food. The manna in the desert that sustains the human spirit. You need to be reminded of the things of Jesus and who God is for you in Christ. It is the most important thing for you to do in the midst of suffering. You need Christ. You need to be reminded of who God is for you in Jesus. You need to eat. And most all of our problems and suffering and trials and difficulties can be traced right here. That God spreads the banquet table and we are refusing to sit down and eat it and to be comforted by our God. We're cutting ourselves off from the means of grace. The means of grace. God has always done this for His people. And you think about this. We read that story of God sustaining the missionary. Barry and his family. And he was more than enough. But think think about this even in our own church. I'll just throw out several examples. Is this true? Is this true? That God provides a feast for us. In the midst of fighting. In the midst of turmoil. And I want to ask the members of Grace Community Church a question. You answer. You, you raise your hand. If you have been encouraged. By the Lord sustaining Nick and Carrie Stafford in the midst of this season with John Hudson. Raise your hand. Has it been easy for them? Have they passed through dark nights? Have they suffered? Have they fought? If you talk to both of them, they're not saying this is Candyland. They're saying this is hard. I'm fighting to remember the promises of God. I'm fighting for fellowship with God. But you know what else? The Lord, not only are they fighting, they're feasting. God is providing for them food, reminders of who God is for them. And they're eating it and God is sustaining them in the midst of the desert. And that is an encouraging thing. Why? When we say that, that doesn't magnify them. That magnifies the shepherd. He is the one that gave them the food. All they did was eat it. Eat it and say, that's good food. That encourages my soul. That's how he sustains his people. In the midst of 
suffering, in the midst of suffering. Some of you know this, uh, some of you don't. This is a this happened several years ago with a brother in our church, uh, Blake. This is actually before I knew him, Blake Jeter. Uh, you know, Brett's telling everybody, got my brother, you know, in Atlanta, awesome, loves the Lord, I really wanted to move back here. Um, and so I wanted to meet him. And this is right around the time we were starting the church, and I kind of knew of him uh, secondhand through Brett. And then all of a sudden, you know, it, it fires off that, oh man, uh, Blake's in Atlanta, uh, early to mid-twenties, about to get married, working out at a gym, boom, blood clot in the brain, uh, has what, what is uh, a stroke, basically, and is laid in the hospital for several days, not knowing uh, if he's going to die. And you know what the Lord did? So he's in, you know, his family's there, everybody's, you know, worried, uh, anxious, like you would be if anyone that you love is, is going through that. And in the midst of that, the shepherd met him there. And he provided a banquet feast in the midst of his enemies. And so what did that look like? You know, I, I, I'm praying for him. I don't even know him. And I go to his Twitter. And in those moments, right after he found out that he had a blood clot, you know what he did? He reaches for his phone, grabs Twitter, and tweets out Philippians chapter 1. To live is Christ and to die is gain. God used that to encourage him. So... All the lies of the evil one are coming down. You're not even going to be married. You're about to lose all things. And what did the Savior do? Spread the feast, the banquet table in the midst of that. And it says, to die is gain. And it comforted him in the midst of suffering. Didn't yank him out. Jesus met him there. Jesus met him there. This is the shepherd. I want to give you another example of this. This is from Patrick Jordan just this past week. Patrick is a brother of ours that got converted after he did uh, committed several felonies and was put in prison uh, for a couple of years uh, for the felonies that he committed before his conversion. Look at what he said this week. Um, many of you know I, I sent this email out that they moved him around due to some uh, health problems that he was having. And he says this, I'm currently... In the worst prison in the state. And on the worst compound at the prison. In the past two weeks, there have been two murders and at least five stabbings. I'm in what they call the Thunderdome. And then he says this. While things seem to be unraveling in a nasty way, I see the sovereign hand of God at work. And I can't help but look to Psalm 23. And rest in the fact that the Lord is leading me each and every step. May the glory of the Lord shine through at this dark hour. You see it? Turmoil breaking loose and what does the shepherd do? Comes and draws near to him and feeds him. Fed Blake with Philippians chapter 1. Fed our brother Patrick with Psalm 23. This is what he does. This is what it means to have the Lord as our shepherd. There are going to be fights all around us, but we can feast on the promises of God. He will sustain us in the midst of warfare. So, the Lord is our shepherd. And let's turn the corner. If we are cared for like that, how should we as His sheep be responding to God, our shepherd? And we'll hit these quickly. Verse 1, He says, I shall not want. 
In light of having a God like that care for me like this, I shall not want. Better translation, I shall not lack. I will lack nothing. This means that if you want 500 square feet and you only have 2,000, that you say this enough times and you beat on it, you know, and say it really loud, that you'll lack nothing and God will give it to you. That's the prosperity gospel. God will give you a Corvette, a Rolls Royce, perfect health. What this points to is that we will lack nothing as the sheep that belong to God. We will lack nothing qualifiers that we truly need. We will lack nothing that we truly need. This is not a promise that we will have everything that we want, but we will lack nothing that we need. And God will magnify His sufficiency in our life in every season. Listen to this. Psalm 84 verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. The lie that we're tempted to believe is He did withhold something good from me. And God's Word says, no good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. So we need to learn this. Those who believe promises like this, they live a life of what's called contentment in God. They are satisfied in who God is for them. We need to learn what it's like to receive from the shepherd and not question him. Not question him. Give me another example. These examples encourage us of how, how to rest in his care. This is from George Mueller from the story of when his wife died. George Mueller, wife died. That verse we just read in Psalm 84. This is the last thing he read to her to comfort her just before she passed. And listen to what he says. He says, this is the last portion of scripture, which I read to my precious wife. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. So I want you to learn what he's doing. What does he say next? Does he start jumping up and down and demand that God let her live? Look at what he says. He tells his wife. If we have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have received grace and therefore we will receive glory. And I said to myself with regard to the last part of the verse, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. He said, I am myself a poor worthless sinner, but I have been saved by the blood of Christ and I do not live in sin. I walk uprightly before God. Therefore, if it is really good for me, my precious wife will be raised up again, sick as she is. God will restore her again. But if she is not restored again, then it would not be a good thing for me. And my heart was at rest and I was satisfied in God. You see what he said? The Lord is good and the Lord does good and he's going to do good for me. And the man submitted himself. He didn't take these little puny, finite thoughts of God. Of, I don't see how this could be good for me. And make God bow down to his logic. He rests in a promise from God's word. And God sustains him as he watches his wife check out of this world and go to be with the Lord. God satisfied the man. What did he do? Same thing that we've been seeing. 
The enemies are there. Death is there. But God spreads the banquet table in the midst of it and encourages his brother. This is what it means to have God as our shepherd. That even when these hard, difficult times come, like a wife dying or burying your kid, that he is sustaining and showing that he is sufficient. Sufficient. Second response, I will fear no evil. Verse 4. That's what, that's what it means to be a sheep that has the Lord as the shepherd. I will fear no evil. Now, this is not a self-confidence. Boost up yourself. You know, like somebody, uh, you know, pumping themselves up. I can take them. I can take them. I'll, I'm going to be afraid. I'm not going to fear them. This is confidence is not coming in anything rooted in ourselves. This confidence is coming. Why am I not fearing any evil? Because the creator of the ends of the earth is with me. He is with me. He's beside me. He's present with me in the midst of my enemies. Listen to this verse. The shepherd is glorified. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. When disciples of Jesus, when they say things like this, I may be persecuted, but I will not be forsaken. I may be struck down, but I will not be destroyed. You see how real that is? That's not evading suffering, but it's saying with faith, confidence in God, that I'm going to go at this fearless because I'm not going to be cast away. I will not be utterly destroyed. Last response, verse 5, is I will dwell in God's house. I will dwell in God's house. Verse 5, surely goodness, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy. These are attributes of God describing His covenant. And look what it says. This is a sheep that's so confident in their shepherd that he's looking around and he says this, Surely, of anything I know, surely I know this, that goodness and mercy... Attributes personified, and they are coming after, literally pursuing this sheep, overtaking him. And then he says, all the days of my life. And I want you to think about the happiest of days and the hardest of days. The promise of God is that the goodness and the mercy of God will pursue the sheep that belong to God. Every single day of your life, every single day of your life, you sit there and watch waves hit a beach over and over and over again. The goodness and the mercy of God will keep coming to the believer because God has made covenant with us. He's made covenant with us. Listen to this. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 40. I will make with them an everlasting covenant. And I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their heart that they may not turn from me. And I will rejoice in doing them good. That's God's covenant for us. Never stop doing good to you, Dustin. That's a good reminder in a difficult season that the goodness and the mercy of God is coming after me. Coming after me to overtake me. So this covenant that God has made with us to do us good... What's the main way that God does us good? The main gift that God gives is, say it, Himself. 
We get God. That's the highest gift of the gospel. And so he says, what's the, what's the chief, the sharpest tip on the spear of the goodness and the mercy of God coming at us over and over and over? It's the presence of God. I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I get God through Christ and I get him forever. Forever, in every single season, Jesus promised us that He would be with us always, even to the end of the age. This is what it means to have the Lord as our shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your work towards us, God. And we just tell You, Lord, that we believe Your Word is true. We believe Your Word is true, Lord. And we ask you, God, to, to make these words effective in our life and encourage us. God, I pray that the vast majority of us who heard this teaching, Lord, are in our youth, God. And, and I pray, God, that you would prepare us in these seasons of youth, Lord, to suffer. I pray, God, that you would prepare us to love you in hard times. And not just in easy times, Lord. And I thank you that you're already doing that in this church. And we ask you to continue your kindness toward us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.